You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is the BC throne speech, State of the Union, and much more. Margareta, thank you for joining us this morning. Wonderful to be here. Good morning. Now, BC's throne speech happened. What did we hear from it? Well, we heard a lot of really interesting themes. I'd say there's been a sizable amount of focus on global uncertainty and a very interesting underlying message about compassion and empathy and the role of government to look out for British Columbians. I think as a general principle, they're demonstrating a strong understanding of the needs and wants of the public right now. Uh, There's uh, been a lot of pressure on affordability, of course. Uh, Many, many families, households, consumers are seeing sizable changes in uh, their bills and uh, costs of groceries. Everyone's been talking about the price of eggs and uh, just how <laughs> much uh, it has risen uh, in many places. Uh, in fact, there was a, a joke uh, recently at an awards show uh, that uh, flew over the heads of some of the very, very rich uh, attendees there, uh, just about the, the price of cartons of eggs, for example. I think it was uh, comedian Trevor Noah who uh, was interviewing Taylor Swift, and uh, she, she didn't really know what he was talking about. But uh, I think your average person there seeing huge increases in their bills, and uh, the BC throne speech is recognizing that uh, these pressures are, uh, even if there's not an election, are certainly bearing down on the PCNDP government. Um, they also spoke about uh, historic trends, uh, particularly with the pandemic, uh, you know, citing careful management of the economy coming from government. Um, I think this is really interesting wording. Uh, you know, there's different schools of thought on this topic. Uh, personally, I think we were very, very fortunate throughout the pandemic uh, to have of course, uh, lower population density than many other competing jurisdictions uh, around the world. So the spread of the virus uh, was a little bit uh, uh, less extensive than, than you saw in many places. That, uh, of course, uh, impacted uh, how many sectors had to close, even though there were sizable uh, reductions in, in services uh, and tourism, of course, you know, has just you know barely recovered. Uh, many other sectors uh, pivoted pretty quickly, uh, but we had a very big boom happening in construction that was led by major projects like the Trans Mountain Expansion Project, uh, Coastal Gas Link in northern British Columbia, and the uh, liquefied natural gas project LNG Canada that Coastal Gas Link supplies. Uh, Site C construction, uh, building a major hydroelectric dam uh, the northeast of the province. Uh, so all of these pieces really worked to our advantage. I'd say the benefits uh, from that uh, came. Uh, largely from the initiative of uh, the private sector, but uh, it was good to see that government understood the need and, you know, was quick to label uh, these sectors as essential. Um, On the kind of broader themes around uh, economy, uh, social services, and other public goods, uh, we're seeing a very interesting uh, focus on the supply side of the housing challenges we have. It's been many years that uh, advocates and uh, housing experts have been pushing different levels of government to recognize the uh, challenge that we're just not building enough to, to house people, and that's a large part of the problem that we face. Uh, it looks like the BCNDP is, you know, wisening up to this finally. Uh, of course, a couple of weeks back, uh, uh, the Premier and uh, his Cabinet Ministers were in Ottawa asking for a number of things, uh, including uh, support for delivering their housing commitments. On the healthcare side, uh, which they're also uh, seeking a new federal funding model uh, to support, uh, there's widespread recognition of the challenges people face uh, getting primary care. Uh, They also were really quick to note that uh, the public system is the one that needs to be reinforced and uh, invested in. Private health care, in the view of the NDP, is not a solution. And uh, I'd say the onus is on them to prove that 
uh, investments in the public system will deliver the types of things that British Columbians uh, need and want from the healthcare system. Uh, we also saw a continuing uh, theme around public safety, uh, support for mental health, and uh, especially those who are in crisis with mental illness. Um, of course, there was news recently uh, that the uh, city of Vancouver is moving really quickly to deliver on its commitments. Uh, and there's been a number of key agreements reached to enable that to take place and hopefully improve the public safety and visible mental health crisis situation that, that we see on the streets here. Um, on the resources, major infrastructure side, I thought it was quite interesting while they were talking about clean electricity, hydro, um, there weren't very many mentions of the LNG sector. Uh, and, of course, its growth uh, really hinges on the availability of uh, clean electricity to supply production, uh, very, very clean production relative to uh, the rest of the world uh, for a commodity that the world needs, which is natural gas. Uh, hydrogen, though, was mentioned. i uh, curious to hear more details about uh, where that fits in in uh, the overall picture. And, of course, they uh, have signaled that in the coming weeks and months, they will be acting with increased urgency on meeting climate targets. So uh, there's a lot of things to unpack there, uh, but I'm curious to see where it lands. Mm-hmm. And how is this going to affect the economy? Well, I would say there's underlying all of this uh, a strong sense of disconnect in rural communities right now. Um, and, you know, I said they were quite responsive to public demands, but it's not a, an economic uh, view that I think speaks for everyone. And um in terms of the overall economic picture, uh, really, really important to ensure that all the social spending, this compassionate uh, and uh, you know focused, empathetic approach to to people's needs and, and the role of government, uh, there's a need for that to be well resourced. And uh, if we don't have a large, uh, functioning, stable uh, private sector-driven economy, then uh, we don't actually have the ability to pay for all of these things. Um, so really what this does, it provides an opportunity for the BCNDP to enable major projects, uh, ones that are planned or proposed, uh, to drive that economic growth despite all the market uncertainty. And the principle that I really like to refer back to here is if the market wants to build it, if there is someone out there who wants to buy a product that we have the ability to responsibly and sustainably produce, then government needs to subject to considerations around local ecosystems and climate plans and uh, support and uh, uh, engagement with uh, communities and rights holders, uh, it needs to enable those projects to take place. Uh, And there's a couple of really interesting ones on the docket right now. Uh, Of course, the workforce is trained up and ready to go with all the major projects that uh, uh, construction and skilled labor has been working on uh, for the last two, three years. Uh, hopefully they will be able to switch over to projects as they get approved. Um, some of the interesting ones you know, that have been crossing my desk uh, have been the West Coast Connector Gas Transmission Project, uh, which was uh, purchased by Enbridge from Spectra Energy. Uh, that one actually has a permit. Uh, due to the pandemic, they're uh, seeking an extension on the permit, which is due to expire in 2024. Uh, and it is a fairly unique case. Uh, provincial government has an opportunity to recognize the circumstances that didn't allow for that initial permit to be fully utilized. Uh, And, of course, this project uh, would uh, be one that would carry uh, natural gas produced uh, in the northeast of our province uh, to Tidewater and uh, to export to Asia. Other projects, uh, TC Energy's second phase of the Coastal Gas Link uh, Connecting Project is going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, Fortis, BC, 
is uh, planning some infrastructure to connect to wood fiber LNG. And, uh, of course, there's a number of other liquefied natural gas projects like Cedar LNG, which is being led by the Hyvla Nation, Xylism LNG, which is uh, being led by the Niska Nation. And uh, I really hope that the government is taking all of the measures that it can to enable these major pieces of infrastructure to go ahead with certainty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, further along, uh, there's pressure overall to curtail industrial development, um, and this is one that they need to balance very carefully. Um, the agreement with the Blueberry River First Nation coming out of the precedent-setting uh, court decision has, uh, has been reached, uh, and now it's uh, up to the government to allocate uh, how much of the land um, that is covered by the, the settlement uh, with, uh, with the nation uh, can actually be developed. Um, so there's uh, an increase in new future uh, footprint of, of uh, industrial disturbance. Uh, essentially, the agreement was about um, the cumulative impact of industrial activity on the Blueberry River First Nations uh, territories uh, and the territories of other Treaty 8 nations. And uh, there's going to be, I think, about a 50% average reduction in how much new uh, development can take place annually. Uh, but the path forward is pretty clear. Uh, if the provincial government uh, is able to, and they must, uh, they, uh, they ought to work with industry to ensure that the most innovative, responsible developers who demonstrate strong track records in reducing the environmental footprint of upstream development can go ahead because we're going to need that to feed all these projects. Uh, the Thorn speech was also really interesting. It you know, didn't just talk about uh, the uh, province's uh, historic uh, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples legislation, DRIPA, uh, and delivering on that further. Um, but they also recognized that uh, there's a need, as that is done, to provide stability and predictability to industry. Uh, while ensuring that First Nations can meaningfully exercise their rights. Uh, they need to recognize that First Nations, uh, you know, working together uh, with industry to pursue sustainable economic development and long-term partnerships. And we're seeing these all over the, the space. Uh, Seabridge and Teltan are announcing a deal on the KSM mine. Fortis and the Sinemach Nation have agreed uh, to work together with Tilbury, uh, Tilbury LNG Project. But the budget on the 28th is going to tell us more. Meanwhile, now, the U.S., which never a dull moment there. There was a lot going on at that State of the Union address that was just held. But there, is there anything that touches on Canadian interests? Well, I would say, unex- completely unsurprisingly, um, it's very much an America First vision, uh, prioritizing economic growth in what is rapidly becoming an uncertain and uh, somewhat scary world. Uh, this is all framed by the massive, massive uh, investments that are being made uh, in many industries, including natural resources, through the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which is really, uh, I would say, uh, a major leading piece of legislation from the Biden administration. Um, So that's an important sort of underlying theme. Um, You know, we're looking out for American interests. That's what Biden is saying. Uh, I noticed there are some odd overtures uh, being made from Donald Trump, uh, who's now back on Twitter, uh, saying that, oh, you know, Biden's doing his best. Uh, Still trying to puzzle out exactly what that means. But as far as the Canadian implications go, uh, there's one that is really stressing people out, uh, especially those in manufacturing and forestry. And it's the uh, note that only American-made products are going to be used in federally funded infrastructure projects. And that includes lumber, glass, drywall, fiber optic cables, you know, lumber in particular, kind of a big deal for us. So it's really up to the federal government now to work really hard to negotiate exemptions because that's going to impact the supply side or the demand side that uh, affects our forestry sector. 
Lastly, the federal government is soon going to share its proposed sustainable jobs legislation, which deals with what commentators have been calling just transition. How has that been going? Well, they uh, rebranded uh, from uh, what was uh, initially being called just transition to sustainable jobs. And uh, that's no surprise, there's been quite a bit of backlash. And, uh, you know, it, it's one, it's a form of backlash that is very uh, regionally focused. Uh, you know, many parts of the, the country, uh, people don't really know what it's about, don't really care, because they have very, very different sectors that, that are kind of top of mind. But um, these unresolved tensions um, on what transition uh looks like and at what pace, uh, particularly for those in resource-producing sectors, uh, is a a really sizable one. And I think the essential question is whether moving to ensure that high-value jobs exist in a changing world with uh, changing demand for different products uh, is also the same as ensuring that the uh, labor market is trained and equipped uh, to pursue them. And does that actually mean sunsetting industries like oil and gas? Um, I think that's the worry and concern that's been guiding a lot of the criticism and pushback. The Alberta Premier, Daniel Smith, uh, has been pushing really hard. There was some visible tension with the Prime Minister when they met. Uh, Notley, uh, who was a former Premier of Alberta and is on the campaign trail uh, in the coming uh, months to, you know, in her view, hopefully get elected, she also sees the writing on the wall. So she's been quite a critic, too, which is surprising because she's a progressive. Uh, but ultimately, as uh, one of our favorite commentators, uh, Heather Exner Perot, uh, recently wrote uh, in the National Post, um, these are very high-value jobs. It's approximately $600 an hour of value that is created by each person working in resource industries. Um, so it's not just workers and sort of their incomes. It's society as a whole that benefits from these jobs in the sectors they exist. And that's the crux of the matter. It's not about job numbers or replacement. Worker well-being is key, but the broader economic impact of these jobs is what defines our collective well-being. And uh, trade balance, the value of the Canadian dollar, really relies on our ability to create these products. And then that, in turn, informs our ability to purchase things from abroad and to have uh, good consumer well-being here in Canada. Margareta, as always, it is great talking to you. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Take care.